0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Pop Cannon. This is episode 61, and it is a fan's choice episode. We are your hosts. My name is Jordan. I'm Robert.
1: Name's Paul.
0: I'm Joe. Guys, I said it was a fan's choice episode. That's because if you're not in our Facebook group, the Pop Cannon Collective, you weren't able to vote for a series of films that we yep. would. Potentially cover, and today's episode is such as we are covering the fifth element as chosen by the Pop Cannon Collective.
2: Yeah, we had a couple other movies in that poll, but Fifth Element won, it was narrow. It was narrow. It was, it came down to a few votes. Yeah, it was like two or three different ones. So if you want to have a voice in future episodes, you have to join Pop Cannon Collective
3: you're right as an american citizen (laughs) or anyone i
0: guess (laughs) so today we are discussing the fifth element as i said before it's a 1997 film what was everyone's viewing experience like what's your memories of the film
3: i have very fond memories of this movie it was it always seemed to be on any channel if you had cable tv as a kid So I caught it in like snippets at first. And then when I finally got to sit down and take the whole thing in, it was as exactly as weird as I thought it was on first impression. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of stuff that I didn't really like hold on to from when I was a kid that surprised me now. Like um, Corbin Dallas is a very creepy dude um, throughout (laughs) the entire film, uh, which I just did not. It bounced right off of me as a kid, but otherwise like, Everything about this movie besides that is fucking wild. It's the production design is so intense and deep. The costumes, even like the effects for being clearly like a 1997 effects are (laughs) they're fun to watch and it exists in this weird point where you can tell all the practical stuff was shot on film and there's like these digital effects being blended in, but it has like those stable shots of like a very film look. Longer time before an edit, but with these very animated action sequences. And it's it's a really fun testament to like a a step into a new age with like the new millennium for film. A movie that like today would be trying to make three different movies, one standalone sci-fi insane, like almost a Star Wars ripoff until it just goes completely off the rails in a different direction. I do love this movie, so I do think it holds up in spite of its uh red flags <laughs> <laughs> not even flaws but red flags yeah. <laughs> Robert what did you think
2: the very first time i saw this movie in its entirety i absolutely hated it mm. and then i cuz i'm pretty sure we discussed it at school one time probably yeah. <laughs> wait in a class yeah. no like no like the three of us like Uh, sitting around in between classes, I believe, discussed it. (laughs) Everybody couldn't believe that I didn't like it. So then I watched it again very, very recently after that very first time. And I still had, like, so many questions and was so bewildered. And then, like, it turned into me trying to talk about it all the time. And then I realized I just really like it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because I felt like the more I, I watched it, the more I was like, really comfortable with all of the weird things that are thrown at you and happen and i didn't really realize what necessarily the story was i feel like it's disorienting because you're all over different locations and places and people and shit so it's like hard to kind of wrap your head around what that universe is actually showing you but i i i don't really have that many issues with it Aside from what Joe said, that was pretty glaringly obvious when I watched it last night, <laughs> uh, which I was like, "Ooh, ooh, that's really, really strange. Um, but no, I've, I, I love this movie and I have no problem, like you said, watching it on cable every time it's on because I'll just put it on. It's beyond a comfort thing for me now because I just I like it that much, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but I remember seeing the cover for it in my grandparents basement cuz my grandfather had it on VHS and, and just like staring at it like what the fuck cuz all the characters are on it you just look at those four or five characters along each other and you're like they're in the same fucking place somehow like how do you fucking <laughs> comprehend that especially as a kid so i had no idea what to expect when i watched it as an adult but i love it i think it's great paul what did you what do you think of it like overall
1: i do remember it very well from when i was a kid And I remember I liked it then, I think mainly because of like from a uh, imagery standpoint, like I remember the whole sequence with the uh, opera singer Mm -hmm. because of that, the like composition of that song, I think like stayed with me, but uh, I had watched it like fairly recently. And then I watched it again just before we did this. But like, I don't think like the story is that good. I think it's like, it's just watered down, I guess. Which isn't, it makes sense, I guess, because they're trying to do, like, these, like, huge concepts. Like, there's, like, great evil. Yeah. And so it's, like, it just, I don't really like how that great evil is just kind of, like, a sphere of.
2: Just a planet. Yeah. It's, it's the say, moon. Right, all
1: right right, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I don't know, it feels like it's trying to be too big or something. That's one uh criticism that i would have of it and then yeah i i guess uh corbin dallas is like kind of a weird dude but <laughs> but they end, i mean they, he ends up having like some some good moments where like yeah he's I mean, like yeah, kicking sure. he's kicking ass and stuff and uh maybe he's just supposed to be like a archetype the visuals and the cast like the acting are probably yeah. the best parts of this movie like it kind of feels like stargate a little bit too with that yeah. that like Egyptian sequence in the beginning where they have those like suits yeah. it looks yeah. it looks yeah. like Star Stargate like straight up um <laughs> uh or at least that's what i thought of and Stargate came out in 94 3 or 3 years before this but yeah i mean i don't know uh i've always liked it i like it now i don't think it's like an amazing movie or anything but it's like really fun and i think it like has like a lot of like genuinely funny moments so I guess that leaves Jordan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As a kid, I never really saw this movie. Only in chunks. I'd see it on TV. Mm -hmm, As far mm -hmm. as my viewing experience of this film, I just watched it for the very first time from start to finish. Uh, Literally just finished it maybe an hour ago. So it's still very fresh (laughs) in my brain. But obviously as I was watching it, I was seeing moments of the film that I remember, like the opera, the visuals are very defined and pronounced throughout the entire film. I think the acting was really fun. Absolutely astounding performance from Gary Oldman, in my opinion, (laughs) who really pulled you in to Zorg as a character, which is a silly name with a sillier, like, appearance and stuff, (laughs) but somehow still able to win me over in every scene that he's in yeah overall i thought it was good but there's there's a lot of issues i don't think it's (laughs) as great as everyone makes it seem i think it's most people looking at it through rose colored glasses yeah and that's not necessarily because my standards are so high or anything uh i think for the time it was awesome probably like for a 97 movie like yeah
2: you were it, like holy it shit feels like a very
0: <laughs> 90s film so, yeah so corbin dallas is a super weird dude uh <laughs> <but> very <laughs> creepy and uncomfortable but yeah like paul said he had he did have good moments
2: yeah. Why don't Why don't we just get Corbin Dallas out of the way? Yeah, it just, um. it just seems unnecessary. <laughs> like,
1: so I like that the idea of like love is like an <laughs> overarching theme. Yeah, like I like that. That again, that's like another big concept. Like. Like a great evil, you know what I mean? Like they try to like force into it and it's, it's like the
2: opposite. It's the opposite of the, the great evil is, is the love. Right. And that's, she needs all of the elements together to put forward the energy necessary to re rebuke the great evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: But I did not believe their love in any way. Oh no,
2: no. The, <laughs> they go into detail about all of that stuff at the very beginning and then all this crazy shit happens in Egypt and you're like, wait, what the fuck is going on? So you kind of forget all of, like, to su- you know what I mean? Like, you, just, you don't necessarily, you're like, what information other than, like, the look of everything am I supposed to carry through to the next part of it? Right. Um <laughs> the Corbin Dallas stuff is like, so basically we all agree that he's like a creep because this woman that doesn't speak the language that he speaks falls into the back of his taxi, barely wearing anything. And he just falls in love with her. That's creepy as fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he kind of is like forceful. And then they even acknowledge that at a certain point, which I thought was, which I think for 97 is pretty, pretty fucking progressive uh, (laughs) to have her say that she didn't tell him that he could or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's really big, and I don't necessarily see throughout the film how she ever falls in love with him, like how it's ever from her end reciprocated to him, because she's got a lot more going on than fucking falling in love with Corbin Dallas. No, (laughs) I I think you put it best,
1: I don't know if you said this when we were recording now or Or before yeah uh but uh you were you were like she is she has a particularly childish personality and it is like it is like she's like a being reborn so if anything that's (laughs) what makes it weird like it'd be one thing if he was like han solo and he was like it was pushy a little bit, and then like it was obvious that she did want. Right, she if there was like she was like making a choice as well. Yeah, like... Do
3: one thing if she was conscious. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, she's uh, uh, like, well, oh, yeah, we got the, Sleeping Beauty that... over here. He does carry her around the film <laughs> yeah, that, for quite a bit. Yeah, true. Yeah. He's on the phone with Finger in the beginning, and he like he keeps saying that like his ex-wife was like the perfect woman, and he's obsessed with like. Okay, right, woman. right. So like, he doesn't know anything about Lilu, doesn't even know her name, but he heard the priest say she's perfect. <laughs> And that's what he holds on to. He's like, oh, that's the perfect woman, so I want Uh, her. Yeah. (laughs) And then let's also just point out the idea that the perfect form is some skinny white lady. is a really problematic (laughs) thing to keep... Like, they keep harping on that for the first third of the movie. Like, she's perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, every every single character says it about her, which is really weird. And they explain that her
2: DNA... Um, that human's DNA is like two strands she's or something. She's got a lot of it. And then she's just somehow got like 400 times as many strands of DNA, and that makes her somehow a perfect or more perfect. <laughs> They're more tightly coiled together, I think is the phrase that the guy uses. They're used. talking
0: about her DNA, Joe, not her physical appearance, okay? <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs>
3: it doesn't matter that she's like changing clothes every time they change, say it, too.
2: Because she, her, her um, kind, were yeah. in those gigantic suits that we see in egypt right. at the beginning like right. she's created from the dna pulled out of yes like the severed arm of one of them that died in the accident because mm-hmm. they're like the most ineffectual protectors of all time <laughs> they like they fuck up on earth in egypt yeah. and then and then right. in space they also fuck up and die <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like I, really i want to talk
0: about it. that opening for like a, a hot second no, yeah, yeah. and the the character design choices for those beings. I guess now, maybe, maybe, I don't know about in 1997, but now it was hard for me to submerge myself and get invested in the believability of it and suspend mm-hmm. my disbelief.
1: So wait, you're, are you saying like the design of it? Yeah. Oh, it like, like threw me okay. off,
0: like just from the way that they looked, I wasn't sure if they were friendly if they were supposed to be intimidating if they were supposed to mm-hmm. be like goofy because they like really moved goofily <laughs> yeah like, i think that's the. there's point, a million though. other ways they could yeah. have played that in yeah. my opinion i
3: think that's the point because it it's like a microcosm of the whole film it's like we're dealing with like this like cartoony big conflict of good versus evil we're in this like super like period setting of like this pyramid and then this foreboding force comes down but then it's this big goofy thing it's like (laughs) i don't know should i be scared and even like the tone of the film is set when the priest is trying to poison the doctor and he won't just fucking drink it (laughs) it's like okay like we're gonna be like a little like serious but we're gonna have fun too yeah and i think that's what they were trying to convey and that was like the fun of it and even like it's very funny that like this big foreboding thing can't move fast enough to get out. (laughs) But it's it's also at the same time, like it's already done the math. It's like, okay, you need to take this. You need to do all this stuff. So like, I don't know. For that reason, I loved it. And like, I like that those guys aren't present in the rest. Like they come back 300 years later, but then they immediately Immediately die. die.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But that's so, uh, to Jordan's point though, when I watched it for the first time and hated it, Oh yeah. It, it was things like that, that I felt like prevented me from just like accepting the reality of what this universe was. Cause I was still, I was trying to apply like any sort of outside logic to why it would look like that or what all of those things do and mean, <laughs> because there's a lot yeah. of shit happening on that, that piece. Yeah. That's like a practical fucking costume that they made, which I love that they did it practical. Oh yeah. Mm-mm. Um, but obviously, you would run into the issue looking like that—that that it would fucking walk goofy, yeah. Because you don't know what it does on wherever the fuck it's from. It could fly or whatever. You have no idea. Um, so walking here is like, oh shit, we're not. The contingency isn't set for th- <laughs> I
3: think That's an interesting point, though. That it, it seems like we all, on like a first reaction, whenever we first saw this, like, we're pretty struck by the weirdness of it, and that like yeah. held us back. But then on a second viewing, once you're like. Once you kind of relinquish yourself to it and just go along for the ride, mm-hmm. you have a lot more fun. But when you're yeah. like yeah. when you're wrestling with it and trying to like pry something out of it, you're you can't not enjoy have a fun w- time. you can't enjoy viewing it that way. You can't right.
2: it's it's really yeah. difficult to enjoy viewing it that way if you're like but why? And I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this this like it didn't initially give me the suspension of disbelief the very first time I watched it. And then I get, you get like, if you stay watching the movie and you get to the diva scene, like by the time that happens, so much weird shit has taken place that like when this gigantic blue woman comes out and just sings inhuman fucking, (laughs) like you're just like. You either throw your hands up at that point, or, it's or just, you just accept it and move or on. Or you just, at that yeah. point, finally accept yeah. that, like, I'm never going to understand what's all happening here and why.
0: It's not even that it's dependent upon the story, but that's what I was saying at the beginning. Yeah. Like, it took me a while before I was actually submerged in the world. Yeah. And yeah. once I accepted that, it was a good time.
2: I feel like corbin dallas is a really uh, a really good example of whatever the male equivalent is of a mary sue yeah he just kind of picks up and can do anything it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah i mean but,
3: it's that it's that trope thing where they're like oh you're ex-military right um, right we got i've one been more retired job for six
2: for, months yeah. well we got one
3: more job <laughs> yeah. yeah and
0: i don't necessarily think bruce willis is the main character of this film
3: I don't, like Corbin Dallas is like gruffness, like, especially like in the Ruby Rod scenes, like that's good stuff. And like the action is yeah. good. It's just yeah. like that creepy side of the character really like pulls the rug out. It it, from it under was, it felt thing. forced for sure. It felt right. forced. Like, they didn't, Absolutely. they didn't
1: need to have that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All I'm saying is they could have, they could have taken any other actor, plugged that in and it wouldn't have necessarily mattered.
2: Bruce Willis, what he brought to that role was the seal of approval of like an action movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, you cast Bruce Willis in 1997 for your action movie because you want fans of Bruce Willis to go see it as an action film. Like for that's sure. why you get him. Like he's the he's the box office draw for it, and the director and writer of this, Luc Besson like brought the script to Bruce Willis. He read it. And in two hours he was doing the movie. <laughs> yeah, Like he was just in from yeah. the beginning. Cause he just, he, cause especially when you're that type of actor, this is the role that's your bread and butter. the, yes. the, <laughs> the ex-cop, ex-military, white savior, whatever the fuck, <laughs> like he's gonna—he's he's done. He's done like a million character. Yeah, he's he's done a very yeah. He's there's not a lot to him, and I think Paul even said it earlier that he's just like an archetype or whatever. Yeah, like he's not. Yeah, there's not a lot. I mean they they add lev- they add layers to him with the stuff with his mom, which is funny. Constantly getting bad news. Where that guy that that Japanese boat. Thing that's like a floating restaurant came to his window, which yeah. is part of this dystopian future that I love. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck Grubhub, bring the restaurant to me. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so so I I agree that the character of Corbin, Corbin Dallas is general enough that most anybody else could have brought something different to this character, but I think. The reason you cast Bruce Willis in 1997 is the action movie credibility, coupled with he's able to make a relationship seem real out of absolutely nothing. Like you could tell he believes he's in love with her, which is great. Uh, <laughs> and also that uh, third act gigantic action set piece is why you have Bruce Willis in this movie. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think it. W- I think it would have made more sense if mila jovovich was like the actual protagonist yeah, yeah. of yeah. the story like clearly it would make more sense but and i she's still always think falling asleep <laughs> right and then may, maybe maybe his character entered Is, the story right. at the point that her character did right, in the right. movie then it yeah. would maybe that would have worked better like and well, then at least you would
3: maybe believe that she could love him i don't know like yeah, you could at least like her
2: perspective
3: even if they had let her reach a point of, like, revival of her mental state. I, like, mm-hmm. should not say a full sentence until, like, right. by the end, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, like, there is that, like, good moment when they're, like, getting on the ship. And he's just, like, this is going to be pretty dangerous. And she's, like, I'll protect you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's when it's clear, like, okay, like, she does have some understanding. And, like, she knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's just, like doesn't really have the time or like patience to try to explain it to anybody because she doesn't have the tools to at the moment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i mm-hmm. would have liked to see her more of a protagonist than just like yeah. another like thing that's happening on the sidelines. exactly exactly and that like there are good ways to have
1: two protagonists like yeah the nightmare before christmas like sally and fucking jack like that's a good way to have two protagonists you know what i mean yeah. but it's yeah. like it's just it just it's weird doesn't really fit
0: overall though i think the tone of the movie was really interesting i liked it because it was funny and it didn't take itself too seriously which allows you as the viewer to not take it so seriously and not Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. concern yourself with those questions because the movie isn't
3: as ridiculous as everything was it had its own kind of grounding like Mm-hmm. The dystopian plot elements that were just like threaded into their everyday lives. Like everybody's apartment has those yellow dots on yeah. the wall. And that's because when the cops come, you have to put your hands on the wall. And then again, like you see that in different spots around like yes. in like the ticket booth and everything. It's yeah, yeah there,
2: there's two circles on the ticket booth where it's like we've had to arrest so many people here. Yeah. We <laughs> just have the place where you put your hands. The, <laughs> fact, the fact that there's
3: fucking mountains of trash everywhere. Um the fact that it's been 300 years but radio is still like Mm -hmm. (laughs) going strong um even like i love the opera performance is so nuts because it starts as this like classical like this is what like (laughs) rich people do they go to the opera but then it devolves into this like poppy techno dance crazy techno thing (laughs) and it's like that's awesome
0: (laughs) that scene was incredibly 90s oh yeah yeah
2: the, the production design for this was done by um, two, like, super prolific French cartoon artists that are not the guy that Paul likes to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I,
1: I was thinking about just waiting till the end, but should I just get that out of the way? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, all right. So, some people know about this, but Alejandro Yodorowski was supposed to do the Dune movie, right? Mm-hmm. But his his dune movie was gonna be like ten hours long or something like that. I'm probably it's probably <laughs> hyperbole, but nobody wanted to do it. He, what he did was he made a graphic novel instead where all the ideas that he was gonna use in his dune movie, which had nothing to do with the book, he made into a graphic novel called The Inkle. and mm-hmm. the, his artist, Jean Giraud, took all of the ideas that he used in that book for this movie (laughs) and the editors of the book sued luke besson uh for stealing the ideas but they lost wow (laughs)
2: because it's hard to prove who came up with ip first
1: that book if you ever get a chance to read it is incredible like uh, when i first read it my knee-jerk instinct was to be like Fuck the Fifth Element, <laughs> because <laughs> because like I was saying before, with like the concepts that this movie tries to tackle, that book does, but mm. very very well.
2: Who who was the guy that you <laughs> said stole it from him? Jean
1: Giraud. He didn't. No, so he just took his own ideas that he used for the the book of the all and used the the same like concepts for this
2: movie. Yeah. And so I watched the special features on the Blu-ray of The Fifth Element last night and that guy um and then another French comic book artist whose name is also Jean those two together worked for a year on the production design for this. Right. Where Luc Besson would be like, "Hey, remember that that thing that you drew?" Something <laughs> like he literally was like and he was saying it in the in the documentary or yeah. whatever. <laughs> He's like, remember the thing that you drew for that? Or not for like any specific thing, but remember that thing, like the taxi that you drew? I like that. Do Give me something like that. So then he just drew another similar-looking taxi, and then they, <laughs> like, they put it into the production of it. So like yeah. they spent a year drawing all these fucking concepts for this movie, and then when they had all of that work, they brought it to when they were building the sets and shit like that. So that's where all of that stuff came from was stealing it from the French in some other way. Uh, (laughs) Which was kind of like, I knew that when I was watching that, I was like, there's information that Paul has here that's (laughs) going to these two things together (laughs) for me.
0: I know we talked a a little bit about the production design and the practicality of the costumes before. Uh, We're all big fans of practical costuming Mm -hmm. and practical sets. And I thought all of that stuff in this movie was incredible the yeah. amount of work that must have gone into every little detail must yeah. have been astounding
2: and the designer complained because there's like no budget for costuming ever in movies yeah. and that's why he's never worked on another movie after this he said it's <laughs> because they don't they don't pay any attention to the uh, the fashion budget and he can't he can't do this again is what he basically said. <laughs> Which I was wow. like, dude, it it held up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's so weird and it's in so many different places and uh Luke Besson had said that he wanted it to be light and funny and weird like the design of everything because so many futuristic sci-fi things are dark and gray and raining all the time. So he wanted this to be like the opposite of that. Like yeah. when the, when it's actually daytime outside is like when this fucking movie happens, it's not that it's not your typical cyberpunk future that, uh, is used in like altered carbon and all of those other types of things, mm. which I think it works. It works as an antithesis to all of that. I feel like because of all the colors and all of the crazy shit, because they still feel like they're in the same place, just like night and day. Again, like I said,
0: how you need to suspend your disbelief. Once yeah. you do that, you're seeing this big blue lady, walk in <laughs> this towering creature Headless. yeah like i i thought that scene was very interesting and it was shot so well because you mm-hmm. we, like didn't know what you were looking at and stuff like that's so strange and it pulled me in
3: when the great evil gets mad at like it's like minions or like it's targeting you just that like the ichor of like it's probably just like motor oil that they're dripping <laughs> by the camera like that like always stuck with me like as a kid that was like yeah. terrifying because it's like that's not blood what the fuck is that and it's just like (sighs) dripping down his face
0: what is that viscous substance and it's such like a
3: simple (laughs) effect
2: yeah and it's like scary as fuck because you're like how is it making that happen to you (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) when that guy shows up to his door to kill him and he's just wearing a thing on his head that looks like the wall behind him
2: (laughs) Yeah,
1: that was a, I loved that. I loved the thing. Kind of reminded me of like uh, the shit in the Last Crusade, Indiana Jones, and The Last Crusade. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like something like that. Like, <laughs> but like you see what it is so quickly that it, like it just, just doesn't even matter. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> like he didn't do it long enough to be to fool anyone to be effective. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> but I think that was that character was like that. Right. He was a fucking junkie or whatever the fuck was wrong with him. <laughs> Uh, and, like, the weapon he was holding, like,
1: straight up looked like a toy, basically.
2: Yeah. And, like, I couldn't tell had Corbin confiscated that many guns from him, or is that's... that just where he keeps his guns? I think that's where he keeps his <laughs> I guns. I think
0: that's where he's confiscated everyone else's guns. Because oh, okay. I've, okay. It, I was led to believe that he, like, lives in a really shitty neighborhood and yeah. like there's yeah. just a bunch of tweakers trying to yeah. rob him all the time.
2: <laughs> so and he's he constantly just, d- just disarming them and disarming keeping their guns. Them. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz it was kind of like they were they weren't in there in a way that somebody who collected that stuff would keep it. So it definitely looked like more of a receptacle than like a display <laughs> situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the fact that he was able to just, like, put it back into it, and there's just, like, another one, you know?
0: (laughs) But speaking of his apartment, I thought the way that it was all laid out was so cool. Isn't that fucking awesome? (laughs) Having things rise and things go away, and the fridge is below the the shower. shower. It's Mm -hmm. so cool.
2: I can't believe that places haven't tried to make that work practically. Because, like, a lot of times sci-fi becomes just actual
3: so <laughs> yeah. there are those like kind of micro apartments in like japan and stuff and like they're right. becoming like more popular in different places but yeah. it's like
2: similar to that where they yeah you, you're like refrigerator disappears to reveal your i don't know tower. if it's that
3: extreme <laughs> but <laughs> i think
2: i just like conceptually like that would save so much space if you could do all those things in one area right. so yeah <laughs> Well, that's dystopia. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. well, dystopia. hashtag Let's d- dystopia. <laughs> Practicality wise, one group of the bad guys. Yeah, has those goofy bulldog masks on. Yeah, um, and I don't, I don't hate it because the design is so interesting, and you, you don't get really used know to it how. After a while, yeah, yeah, you're just like, wow, they're fucking ugly, and then you're just like. Yeah, uh, some people are just fucking ugly. I guess <laughs> it's kind of accepted. But uh, they
0: can um What did you guys think about Mila
2: Jovovich? She, I think she did a fucking incredible job in this. She was super believable in having that like childlike atmosphere to her, where she didn't. She was trying to learn how to understand everything very quickly. I think she did a really good job of that. The the divine language that she speaks in the movie is a language that her and the director worked on. Like they created an entire thing and they were able to converse by the end of production entirely in that language. Because there's only like, I think 400 words in it, I think is what I read. Still Um, that's impressive though. But she already can speak four different languages. So it was easy for her to pick up one that doesn't have a lot to it. So they were like writing letters and shit back and forth in it. Um, just to try to get a deeper understanding of it, and she added more to it um, after the fact too. So that, in and of itself, and then she did all of the action shit, um, all while wearing fucking absolutely nothing at the beginning of the movie, and not really that much that much later, <laughs> um, which totally reeks of '90s. Because why have a woman in your film unless she's the sexy eye candy?
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. She did a good job with what she was given. Um, As we already said, like, I wish that she had more to do. If, like, Bruce Willis is, like, the quintessential action hero in the 90s, Mila Jovovich is the, you know, she had the market of sci-fi woman cornered. Um, But in spite of that, like, she definitely put a lot of work into it. Like, her performance was really amazing, I felt like. Yeah, and, like, any of, like, the issues that I have with that character don't really stem from her, so. Right. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's,
2: <laughs> it's all of the other stuff. And I think maybe, I mean, it, and definitely looking back at that character through present-day sensibility as opposed to, like, when that came out. Because she was just awesome when it came out, and now it's, like, awesome
3: with a heaping side of problematic. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, like, all the, like, little things, like, they, for some reason, the priest just had, like, the makeup robot, and it's, like, now you have eyeliner on. Mm -hmm, And then, like, mm -hmm. oh, I forgot about the auto cycle, so now you're soaking wet in your white fucking crop top sweater. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You could say that that's part of the,
1: like, humor. Yeah. Because it's, like, self-aware. It's self-aware. Like, I don't know. Maybe, I guess. In a way.
0: And that was funny, too, because it the joke was, like, they would turn around. Yeah, like, oh. yeah.
2: Right. The running joke was, like, we're not supposed to look at her. Yeah. Right. They acknowledge it, which is... is uh, In 97 is, like, unheard of, I feel like. Because I don't even <laughs> think... I think the Spice Girls might have hit after this. <laughs> so it's, like, yeah. you didn't even get that, like, wave of girl power yet. So the fact that they were willing to cover her up in the background was nice.
3: Well, even going <laughs> off, like, the progressive nature like ruby rod as a character is fucking amazing for like 97 to have like this androgynous character that like everybody just thinks is like the sexiest thing on earth and like (laughs) it's not like foreign to the characters in the film like i think like the characters played for laughs to us the audience but like to everybody else like he's just a celebrity
4: Mm -hmm. like
3: that's like nothing about his demeanor is like weird except for like two corbin who is just like not about that spotlight <laughs> straight man to the yeah right. yeah yeah chris tucker man like just
2: owned that entire performance and role and it was based off of both prince and michael jackson yeah and I they i they were eyeing prince to actually do the acting in it but oh wow uh, he's not he's not capable of that so they had to find somebody that could do and from watching rush hour and Chris Tucker can do Michael Jackson and all of that. Shit. So it's just like the perfect, the per like somehow the right time, the right place, and Chris Tucker was there to be Ruby Rod, which is just like fantastic. But he's funny as hell. He's giving like live commentary, which is an idea that's kind of ahead of its time. <laughs> as like the thing goes down, because that could just as easily be a Periscope or an Instagram live now. <laughs> um, yeah.
3: So you could see that
2: character being. A celebrity in almost any time but especially now
3: yeah uh, <laughs> i said to my roommates it was like watching like billy eichner do billy on the street but it was in like kabul last week <laughs> <laughs> that's an incredible comparison
2: <laughs> <laughs> man for a dollar how do we get out of here
3: <laughs> but like i love the line after he signs off and he just goes, that was the best show of my life. After like yeah. going through like yeah. all that trauma, you like,
2: and at, at a certain point, you know, I don't even think you necessarily realize that he's still broadcasting. Yeah. <laughs> so when he signs off and then he goes, that was the best episode of my life. You're like, <laughs> holy shit! He just did all of that for, for, yeah, for the likes and the subscribes. That's fucking crazy. I'm <laughs> in
0: the front row. Someone come help me.
3: I love how. Oh my god. When he's holding the gun and as soon as he says Ruby and he shoots <laughs>
2: uh. No it's He did he was so funny like uh, When he's looking through The through the hole during The gigantic yep. action sequence And he's like just he's like giving Him like there's seven of them, man you gotta, you gotta get me down he just <laughs> Hold on and he just shoots the fucking floor out From underneath him and, like, just, it, like his face when that's happening Is just so funny
1: I really Dude. like when he signs all of those
3: little girls
1: just, uh, just, paint. <laughs> with, yeah, just with a <laughs> paintbrush. That
3: was cool. That character had served its purpose, like did not need to be there at the climax. But no. like he's just like so good, especially like against everybody else there. That mm, like yeah. they're like yeah you're you, you can go into the pyramid or whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> the yeah because he should he
2: t- really shouldn't be there but I guess because he's been following Corbin he just kind of winds right. up there yeah uh. and then once everything's <laughs> over it's like all right I'm done all right bye <laughs> so <laughs> so,
1: just so that so his character is actually something that was in that book really uh, okay. and I think it's there because one of the themes of the book is that everything is constantly being broadcasted
3: okay okay yeah.
1: like, I can see the movie maybe not even having that like although it's hard to say that because like his performance is so incredible but like as, mm-hmm. a, as a story plot or like a yeah yeah line, as like another line yeah yeah, yeah.
2: it's kind of weird because he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't even really show up and we see him for like way deep into the film so it's just like another yeah. thing that's added to the end that you're like yeah. what the fuck
1: but it makes the movie here? so much better yeah, you
2: know? yeah. <laughs> and his i just his his whole crew and all of those people that are like dressed like yeah him, Or similarly, like Like the guy who's
1: like, his hair is shaved, but then like half of it is down to the skin. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so fucking weird. And just like, of course he would have like, he just like a regular YouTuber. Now He has like that colossal group of his friends that he pays money to that (laughs) follow him around and tell him everything's awesome. (laughs) Like pop cannon collective. Join the group. (laughs) (laughs)
3: On other performances, I think Gary Oldman, like Jordan said in his initial reaction, like really brought a ton to this role. I like had a gag in my head that I, as a kid, that I never recognized Gary Oldman because he fully like transforms for a role. Like between like, the three that come to mind are like this Commissioner Gordon and like the uncle from Harry Potter. And it's just, yeah. like, th- those three characters are, like, as different as can be. And, like, you feel like it's so hard unless you know to, like, process that they're the same actor. Dude, he was, he was fucking Dracula. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, the biggest thing in this for me is when you first, like, meet him, meet him, and he's doing the car salesman routine. For me to imagine a British actor doing that very, like, country American car salesman routine for a gun, it was just so wild. And he's so yeah. good. and he he doesn't even interact with the main cast through the whole movie he's just there (laughs) fucking shit up there's even the part where they get onto the elevator and he gets off Yeah,
2: (laughs) like they literally just pass each other (laughs) (laughs) that could have all been body doubles of everybody else too he might not have ever been on set with them (laughs) (laughs) so funny Gary Oldman um, acted in this movie for free because Luc Besson, um, oh yeah, pa- partially financed uh, Gary Oldman's film that came out. I guess it's one that he did or he produced or whatever. So Luc Besson helped finance it. So then Gary Oldman, as he put it in the quote, uh, was singing for his lunch in this movie. Oh my god! And and he said that he can't watch this. He hates this performance because <laughs> it's so fucking weird. Yeah. And he said at certain points he was trying to uh, channel the uh, the weirdness or the whimsy or however you'd want to describe it of Bugs Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So, if you watch it back now and there's certain ways that he delivers shit, there's definitely a Bugs Bunny-esque quality to oh, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which is so fucking weird, which makes it even better because it's just like... All of these collective pieces of pop culture coming together to create the influences of what this was built on. And that's why the future of this is like weird as fuck, but also doesn't seem like it could be that far fucking off from what actually happens. (laughs) Like the spaceship cruise ship is going to fucking be a thing. There's no (laughs) way that that's not going to be a thing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That speaks a ton to his professionalism though, that like he, didn't want to be there but like he still like worked for it I love yeah it.
1: yeah and he did really well too yeah. Uh, yeah yeah
3: yeah
2: i the for me the most memorable thing is like <laughs> when you see him turn around for the first time and you just try to drink in <laughs> what's happening because <laughs> he's the the big piece of plastic on his head and the like neck scallop and all of the fucking it's just it's weird as fuck it's so I'm pretty sure weird. he had a
0: peg leg because every time he like <laughs> yeah stepped you right. hear that clink clink <laughs> but the, i thought it was weird because they never focused on it no nope,
2: never mentioned it yeah
1: i think ian holm was really cool in this movie too oh yeah um like kind of not really a character that he generally plays i feel like
2: is that the priest
1: yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Sort of yeah Mister Hobbit, the, the Hobbit man.
2: <laughs> he had like some fr-
1: some f- funny moments. Yeah, he
2: did. They gave him they gave him some decent lines and some and some humor, which was just like interesting to. Yeah. And like when he's explaining to President Tiny Lister that like what's actually happening, and like
3: nobody's listening to him,
2: <laughs> as the thing is like doing exactly what he said would happen. <laughs> I like
3: the through line that he comes from a long line of incapable priests who just like yeah. are intellectual yeah. to the mission they're meant to serve. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I think because this film was voted by the collective, we should all talk about our favorite scenes, right? That's, that's Maybe fair. we could make that a discussion post within the within the group. That's a great
2: idea, Jordan.
0: So if you're a member of the Pop Cannon Collective, let us know what your favorite scene was. But as far as us, um, personally, my favorite scene is the car chase in the taxi cab. Yeah. Um, it's memorable to me because that's something that I continually thought about as a kid. That's something when I would think the fifth element that immediately comes to mind. And maybe that'll change over time as I continually watch this movie. Cause I'll definitely watch it again over and cool. over again. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just have a good time with it. It's a good movie just to throw on, turn your brain off, watch John McLean shoot a bunch of stuff. Oops, I mean stuff up. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Mila Jovovich falls through, uh, and Bruce Willis, reluctantly for better or worse, uses the last point on his license (laughs) to storm away from this ineffective police force.
2: The commentary there is like, thick as fucking butter, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um,
0: what about you guys? Favorite scenes? Uh, Paul? Uh,
1: so I think I think uh, my favorite scene would be the, the opera thing, but I feel like I've maybe talked about that too much, so... I'm going to give a special shout out to the scene where they're trying to activate the stones. It's like really, it's just kind of has like this fun, like urgency. Yeah. I thought that was like a really fun scene and like how they had to like, kind of like figure that out. Yeah. Uh,
3: uh, Joe. Basically the whole sequence from when he's eating the food at his window Like, one, it's, like, the fun surprise that, like, he gets his mail and you realize you're in his house and the restaurant is at his window. But then all the way up until when they leave. Because, like, it's every party in the film converging on this one space and, like, a lot of coinciding storytelling that, like, they did really well at, like, other parts in this movie. Um, But here, like, it all, like, really came to a head before, like, easing off until the climax. But, um... He finds out he won from his mom and then the tickets show up and then the military shows up and then the priest shows up and he's like <laughs> dancing around all these different people and then the cops come to get them out of there Oh, when he redirects to his neighbor. yeah, like, So much stuff just like <laughs> playing out so fluidly in that scene yeah. and him hiding everybody in different parts of his little apartment. Um, and somehow it works. Yeah, it just like, it really is like all of the fun of this movie bottled up into one sequence that i i thought was perfect uh so yezzy what did you think
2: (laughs) so i i like all of the scenes that you guys said Mm. um it's got to be a toss-up because the 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 action set piece of this movie is like incredibly done and there's a lot of thought behind the movements and stuff because Corbin goes behind that bar and then he moves to the one side of it and that the side that he was in gets blown up but he survives that like that's a that's a choice that's not a something that just kind of they put together like I feel like yeah. that was very deliberate in like he's here and then he's here and that gets shot I guess like honorable mention would be the scene that uh, Joe you mentioned <laughs> earlier where Gary Oldman's a used car salesman with those guns to the mangalores man it's just like <laughs> and especially the bull the one that like the bullets all go to the same place as the last one which is just like a crazy fucking idea yeah yeah um uh, i was waiting like, for that to come back around but it never yeah, did yeah yeah <laughs> it seems you, you
3: can't shoot weird. anybody with that without just fucking decimating them <laughs> <laughs> it seems like
2: it would have been really beneficial at like later points in the movie too so it really should have come back at some point but when he reveals that the button is, like, a self-destruct or whatever, and that they were too stupid to ask about it, it's just, like, you're immediately just, like, where is this going to go now? You know? And then that's, yeah. like, that, the those characters driving force is, like, because he did that. So that's why that they're involved in the rest of the film is because he did that to them. So that's also, like, a, a, a pretty big moment for the movie, and I, I think it's funny. But then another shout-out to everything that Chris Tucker's in because yeah. he just... He steals it. He steals it. Once yeah. he arrives, you're just like, where is he
3: now? Yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. he was
0: just my favorite character throughout. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: I would want to give an honorable mention as well to not necessarily a scene, but like a bit or a tool that they broke out a couple times of two different groups of characters having the same conversation. So like mm-hmm. when he opens the box and like, he doesn't say right away that it's empty or he says it's right. empty. And then they cut to Lilu laughing And like the priest asks, "Uh, what do you mean you hit them? And then like they keep cutting back and forth. I love that. And they did it so well. And even like different like coinciding scenes and like the storytelling elements of like when he tells Ruby Rod to count to 10 and he stops at nine and then Corbin Dallas says 10 and then they cut to the bomb. (laughs) <laughs> and it's at that ten minutes.
2: The parallels in it are so good and they're so well executed, yeah. I feel yeah. like. Yeah.
0: And that's a testament to the editing. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I think the editing overall for this movie was really, really well done. Yeah. Uh scene to scene, it was a little rough for me at the beginning, but overall the linear editing throughout yeah. was oh, great. Yeah.
3: And like the comedic timing of like when Ian Holm like sees the bomb does the itza 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 <laughs> it's already it's already been going for like 20 minutes and when ruby rod says no no because this place all these places have bomb detectors and we would have heard something and then <laughs> and it was off <laughs> <laughs> the fucking bomb detector goes off
2: <laughs>
0: but yeah so let us know what you guys think of the fifth element overall have you ever seen it before what's your favorite scene who's your favorite character Memorable moments. Do you think that Corbin Dallas is a creep? Uh, <laughs> let us know. You could find us in the Pop Cannon Facebook group, the Pop Cannon Collective, or you could follow us on social media at Pop Cannon. Don't forget the K.
2: Like Corbin. <laughs> <laughs> the K in Pop Cannon is the K from Corbin Dallas. Yeah, the, Fun the, fact <laughs> the much known
3: spelled name Corbin Dallas.
2: Uh huh. Um, but you can also follow us individually if you so choose. I, Robert, can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Yesball. Uh,
0: you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JL24FPS.
3: Paul is in that square, and that's where you'll find him. Uh, I'm Joe, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at joe broke So,
0: for PopCannon, this has been Episode 61, The Fifth Element of... Thank you, and we will see you on the very next episode.